Hey audience, this is another episode of Unverified Accounts. I'm Chris here with the usual Liza and Philip. What's up, guys? What's up? Hi. And I think this is our last episode for Christmas. So um, we will talk about some like Christmas TV specials we like. I mean, as an intro before getting to the meat of this episode, which is about reverse race bending, uh, as seen in the David Copperfield movie that came out by Armando Iannucci, starring Dev Patel. But something just happened a couple of days ago, I think. Uh, Philip, you want to take us through it? Yeah, so basically, so I mean, this is like our obligatory dishing on Asian Twitter gossip, but the, <laughs> the recent crap that's been going on, it's been happening the last couple of days. Um, Simu Liu was caught, uh, well, after an announcement that he is now starring in a new movie uh, with Mark Wahlberg, he's he was caught deleting his own tweet where he caught up Mark Wahlberg for all the terrible racist shit. If you guys don't know, uh, Mark Wahlberg was a little racist asshole back in the day um, as a as a teenager, I guess. And he actually uh, beat up uh, two Vietnamese men, I think in Boston. Blinded, blinded one of them. Blinded one of them. Yeah, per, I think semi-permanently, permanently. 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 Yeah. And uh, badly, badly hurt the other person. I think they were hospitalized, maybe almost died. And uh, he's tried to kind of distance himself from that over, over the years, but people are kind of well aware that he has this kind of sordid past. Um, you know, Mark Wahlberg, extremely, extremely powerful um, actor, producer. I don't know if he's ever directed, but um, he's been in he's a lot of stuff. He's not a director, but he is a major producer. He's responsible for um, shows like Entourage and like Boardwalk mm-hmm. Empire. He was a major producer of like The Departed and The Fighter. Yep, yep. So basically, yeah. that means that he might be, um, I'm not sure how it works, but I think that he does have a Best Picture uh, Oscar for The Departed. Yeah, he's like decorated, right? And uh, The Fighter, you know, he um, that was also nominated Best Picture and Christian Bale won Best Supporting. And then, of course, I'm pretty sure that like, I'm pretty sure that Boardwalk Empire must have some Emmys and Golden Globes. Um, and he's also got like Wahlburgers too. He's got his like fast food chain. I'm sure he's got like a tequila or some Wait, bullshit. Really? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, I didn't are, know about Philip. Are you actually serious? That's the thing. I thought you were joking. No, that's. Have you not? Be, have you not seen? I've been to one in Toronto. Have you, there must be one in New York. Like it's a kitschy oh. burger chain with like <laughs> subpar burgers. That uh, oh, so it's a it's a Mark Wahlberg themed restaurant. <laughs> it's not, not Wahlberg themed. It's like run by him and I think his brothers are owned by them, right? Oh, okay. Um, and it's just a, a burger joint, right? It's kind of a sports bar kind of vibe. It's like a Planet um, Hollywood yeah, type but, thing. Yeah, but the important thing here is that he has said explicitly in the past that, you know, he needs to maintain his kind of fame and popularity in the movies in order to make sure his other kind of enterprises do well, right? Because people go to Wahlbergers partly because of like the, oh, it's like a Mark Wahlberg thing. He's, they're a fan. So check it out, right? You get you get that kind of like auto automatic endorsement because it's it's your mm-hmm. it's your chain. Mm-hmm. So he, he's got this whole empire, and you know, I guess at some point Simulu was um, brought up as as a uh, co-star in this new movie, and he accepted, and he decided to delete this whole tweet he had where he caught out Wahlberg um, on all this. Do you shit think he was he forced to? Well, he responded to this criticism that he did that. And he said that he he didn't say he was forced to. He said he took it down because like he wanted to kind of come in there with like as close to a clean slate as he can and try to you know all the classic pr bullshit right like engage in progressive conversations and oh yeah i'm sure he's gonna talk to mark Wahlberg about this incident well he 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 probably has to now now that it's blown up now that it's shown up on a bunch of uh a bunch of uh i think 
mainstream-ish uh, kind of media media rags, right? So, so it's it's circulating quite a bit. People have different opinions about it. Um, Joshua Luna, um, notorious Joshua Luna, <laughs> has a, a good thread that details more of like the the history of Wahlberg and Simu situation and so on. So, anyway, I'm just kind of curious how you guys feel about. It. I know Chris, you said you kind of just don't care. Um, yeah, the, the reason I don't care is first of all, we we really shouldn't look to these actors to be our our moral guides anyway i think that's the mistake we've made before and we get upset when like well, constance Wu is not as woke as she seems well of course like <laughs> you know these are not I, mean, I, I wouldn't even count these people as artists they're entertainers um yet for whatever reason uh because they're they're famous and popular and like attractive we want them to be our our sure. as I said, our civil rights leaders ridiculous secondly i would care more if the issue was whether he should be in a movie with mark Wahlberg at all which i think would be a legit issue but Mm-hmm. whether or not he like deletes a tweet or something it, it, i think is is it's such a the reason it, it's dumb is that it's so binary he either deletes it in which case he's a total sellout or he keeps it in which he hates mark Wahlberg's guts there's no there's no in between possible and this is why i think it sucks for celebrities to be on twitter because i think if you like set this in an interview then he could do another interview where he explains himself and people be oh yeah but as i said here it's not about that it's whether he deletes it or not and it's just so dumb. <laughs> and I see this all the time in like say sports. Like, oh my God, did you know Kyrie Irving unfollowed LeBron? It's so dumb. Uh, so it's like I, I you know, I don't give a damn. So you're kind of turned <laughs> off by like the the gossipy nature of you know people's social media interactions and that kind yeah, of thing. It, yeah, it's it's like it's it's just dumb shit people say on Twitter, and then they get trouble on it because there's like, as I said, it's so extreme. You you're either hundred percent for it or 100% against it, uh, the act of deleting or keeping it with no room for actual to say anything meaningful. So it's like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe he should just delete his entire social media presence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I, I think ideally that's what you should do. I, the I bigger recently, the actor or whatever, the, the less they're on social media. No, exactly. And I think that's a trap for someone like Asimu Lua or, or most uh, celebrities. You is know, that, like Mark Wahlberg's not on Twitter. He's never going to see it. Right, right. Uh, but these people also na- made their names before uh, the current era. So I think maybe these days, if you're a nobody and you want to be a somebody, social media can take you to a certain point, yeah. but then it'll be your downfall. Yeah, and there's and there's money involved too, right? Like, so I was just looking through Simu's like last dozen or so Instagram posts after his not non-apology or whatever he posted. And like one of the top ones is like he was doing a promoted uh, uh, post for Jaguar. Right, talking about how he's given he he gifted a Jaguar to his parents and stuff, and it was very obviously you know sponsored by Jaguar, which is like you know this is fine. They get endorsements like sports. Yeah, sports, what's the uh, difference between do. like, him all... doing a Jaguar to a social media post and like um, Matthew McConaughey doing the Lincoln commercials? Of course, yeah, of course. But but it's all kind of what I'm saying is that it, it's kind of like entangled in your life as a contemporary star, especially a rising star, right? When you're trying to like get as many opportunities as you can. Um, I don't think what he you know, I think that what he did was kind of cowardly. And, you know, obviously, if you hope for the best from these stars, like he would have not accepted that movie, yada, yada. But, you know, I, I understand he's he's a, he's trying to make it now or he has made it now. And so he's kind of push ahead with these these gigs with uh, unsavory characters and whatnot. And that sucks. But that's the reality of getting sucked in. What, what I think I would say about Simu in particular is that he's kind of interesting because even after he got the big Shang-Chi Marvel gig, he continued to be pretty fucking good at defending uh, Asians, like Asian Americans and Asians like writ large online. He spoke a lot about COVID, right? He pushed back on a lot of uh, racist stuff that he saw online. He was generally pretty good. And like, you know, he like has 
strong language sometimes used in his Instagram and whatnot, which you may assume a Disney PR rep might be like, hey, Simu, please reel that back. He was pretty good about that. And then here he kind of falters completely, right? And and falls into what you'd expect him to do, which is to sell out, which is like, I guess, fine, but also terrible because Mark Wahlberg, Wahlberg sucks. So that's kind of my take on it. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a shame because he, he was pretty good for rep. I don't think he's necessarily the best actor <laughs> out there either. Liza, you're, what does you're he have coming this. up? What, what is he? What's he in? He's in Kim's Convenience, right? That's that right. ended, hasn't it? No, there's another season coming, and and I think he like actually like wrapped up his filming on Shen Chi, went back and filmed season four or something. So he's still involved in that, despite it being at this point a tiny project, right? Which is, as a Canadian, I'm like, cool, that's like represent. Um, but he's not in a ton of stuff. I'm, you know, this gig with Mark, Mark Wahlberg is like the next big thing for him after Shang Chi. It's, so a, it's a Marvel to, movie. It's not a Marvel movie. No, it's not no. a Marvel movie. It's not. Okay. So he's in that, and then he's got this Mark Wahlberg movie coming up. Yeah, and maybe some other stuff in the works. Who knows, right? Okay. So, but you know, you you have to keep the pipeline going. It's hard to imagine where to go after Marvel, but you'd imagine you get into a lot of gigs after a big thing like Marvel. Um, unfortunately this gig he got into was a bit of a trap <laughs> so anyway yeah, you have to wonder if they did that uh, as a way to uh, salvage Mark Wahlberg's reputation mm. bit, a, bit, Which, of a, bit of a stretch because he was never interested in salvaging his reputation if you, if you read the Josh Luna thread he, it talks about how he had a lot of opportunities to like make up for the bad shit he did to the Vietnamese American you know community or whatever and he he basically took none of those opportunities so I, right I but like it's not like Wahlberg is apologizing or anything here right? if let's say his PR team was like hey hey Mark you know we got this like irritating thing that keeps coming up it's not that big a deal but why not do a movie with this dude Simu Lu and then it, it'll oh because it'll, they, uh, they know that Simu would like explicitly caught him out on it so that they could get him to like retract that statement i don't know maybe well it's like it, here's a guy who called you out and if, we're see, if you're seen as making a movie with him uh, no one can say okay, shit yeah, about yeah. you okay. uh, I, I can or whatever see, i can, yeah, I can so. see that i just don't think he cares i don't well Wahlberg's way too powerful simu is like you know c-list compared to Wahlberg, so i don't think he really cares i think they were just matched up and it was unfortunate that you know simu had spoken up correctly in the past about Wahlberg, and now he has to like do do some kind of PR clean cleanup, right? Without a massive PR team that I'm sure Wahlberg has too. Yeah, so. I mean, as I said, if the if the issue is should he be in a project with Wahlberg at all, that's not interesting. Whether yeah. or not deletes her tweet, I think it's just juvenile. Yeah, dumb. I think that that bit is like, uh, this is you know, Asian Twitter trying to find scraps to hang on to until, um, I don't know we talk about Minari or that other movie that's coming out with uh, what's his face, Harry Shum Jr. Right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we've, we'll do a pod on soon, uh, listeners. Uh, Liza, you got any thoughts on this before we move on? No, mine were pretty much the same as Philip's. Okay. Just kind of like, right. uh, I mean, yeah, they're they're pretty much just like I, like it's disappointing, but at the same time, it's I don't really expect much from him either. Yeah. My, Mark mm-hmm. Wahlberg is too powerful to take down by someone like Simu. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it would have been cool if he tried, but he didn't. So here we are now. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think we should just jump into our main topic. Uh, we were going to do this segue. We were going to talk about some like Christmas TV specials we like. One of my favorites, and Liza, you said no, your household it. favorite too. Let's do it. Mickey's Christmas Carol. Uh, Mickey's a Christmas classic. Carol is so good. It's so good. It's so, it's, it really it really like hurts you too when you watch it. Like when, <laughs> it I don't know, because it, it is very so well done. Uh, like, like when why, he... Tiny, uh, Tiny Tim, is that why? And, and then when you see uh, Scrooge... Um, 
whoever his like ex-girlfriend is i mean I, i'll just call her daisy duck because she's played by daisy duck yeah. in the, uh, mickey's christmas carol but when when you see how their relationship ended and, and you know uh-huh. he, he like that was like his one and only chance at love and he gave it up to be this miser mm-hmm. i know most people love a muppet's christmas carol but i actually never I watched like that, that growing too. up I that, love that's the one Christmas that everybody Carol. loves. That is definitely the uh, not just not just the the Disney one, but the story that has taught everyone what the word miser means. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, my introduction to Charles Dickens is through Mickey Mouse and the Muppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably for me too, and I, I think probably for a lot of people. Yeah, uh-huh. likewise. Like I, I wouldn't I know. know I wouldn't know anything about Charles Dickens, and I I think that his most I don't know. Is is a Christmas Carol his most famous story? Like even yes, more def- than definitely. like Great Expectations definitely. and uh, Tale of Two Cities. Oliver Twist might be a close second uh, because there's like a whole musical about it, and it's such a well known story. But I think Christmas Carol because every Christmas, everybody knows it. There's a right. theater, you know, local theaters doing it probably every year. It has the most movie and TV adaptations. Right, and, and the and the name Scrooge just becomes synonymous with miser. You know, we don't even need to say miser anymore. We just call someone a Scrooge. <laughs> Uh, I right. still say Scrooge McDuck before I say Scrooge uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> because yeah. that's what I grew up with. And uh, the um, you know that the R- Rudolph, you know the um, with the little puppets, the little stop motion, the animated one. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that was, we have that on Blu-ray because we like it so much. That's a big one for uh, for my household as well. Big fan of that one. I was actually more. Of, I was going to say I was more of a fan of the Muppets Christmas Carol, but I do like the Disney one too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say animated Rudolph uh, and Christmas. Uh, sorry, Charlie Brown Christmas was probably. Oh, that's uh, low. yeah, that's oh, I like excellent. That one, too. that one was um, hard to watch this year, though. Oh wait, did they take it off all the streaming places or whatever? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I thought oh, you meant okay. it was like hard to watch because something happened in it that reminded you of COVID. <laughs> no, no, no. Like it was hard to watch this year because I don't, I don't think it was on TV, and it's like it's not easy to find on streaming right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a soundtrack that everybody loves by Vince mm-hmm. Guaraldi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frosty the Snowman, another great one, and uh, a bunch of others. But uh, I watched okay, the so- Mariah Carey holiday special. Oh dear! On God, Apple TV, <laughs> was it good? Yeah, it I, I mean it's it's vi- so like I mean it's not like it's it's not like a Bing Crosby one, but like it's so it's so campy. Like there's mm-hmm. just like all these outrageous sets and costumes, and like her acting is so bad. <laughs> and then there's like no other adults but like all these like hot guy backup dancers and like good i don't know like pretty gay boys <laughs> that are like all over the place it's very uh-huh. mariah carey she is uh, the queen of christmas speaking yeah. of bad celebrity christmas i hated a, a bill murray christmas have you guys seen that wait no. what what is that scrooged? oh so it came out on netflix a couple movie? of years ago hmm? the movie scrooged no no, no a, a bill murray christmas i don't know that one Okay, so no need to talk about it then. A couple of years ago, it came out on Netflix. It's this very like self-impressed, smarmy thing where I think Bill Murray, a bunch of celebrities are stuck in a hotel on Christmas Eve and it's just them being themselves. And people are like, oh, this is, this is so droll, but it, it, it sucks. <laughs> Don't watch it. A very Merry Christmas. I see it. Okay. Yeah, or something like that. Wow. All right, so since we that was our segue, Dickens, uh, we're going to talk another Dickens that came out uh, recently, Personal History of David Copperfield which is uh, a movie by Armando Iannucci, most famous for doing Veep, uh, The Death of Stalin. Liza, you and I love this movie. Philip, have you seen The Death of Stalin? I love that movie. It's a fantastic oh, yeah, movie. we all love that movie. <laughs> Very Which good is movie. why uh, I was so dismayed at how bad this movie was. Uh, he has David another one that was supposed to be pretty good. Um, I I think it's in 
from 2009 in the loop which was a satire of anglo-american politics i haven't mm. seen the whole thing but i've seen clips of it and it's like profanity laden and um yeah it, it, it pretty much like um it skewers american politics i see um and 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 the reason we we became interested in this David Copperfield movie was the whole like reverse race bending aspect of it because Dev Patel plays David Copperfield. Uh, you also have um, I, I forgot her name, uh, but she's a British black actress who plays Agnes Wickfield, who is ends up being his wife. You've got Benedict Wong playing Agnes, his dad. So we, we got that whole like Brandy Christ- uh, Cinderella uh, situation going on here, where you got. <laughs> parents of other races just randomly having um children that that don't that don't really quite make sense oh i guess we don't really know who. you read the book right yeah so okay um, so that so like david copperfield is um it is one of dickens stories i'm the least familiar with like when i think of david copperfield i think of the magician yeah yeah i think so do most people uh yeah. <laughs> like, i get very confused when i hear david copperfield like that's what i thought when, the I, when about I first too. heard that oh really this- <laughs> yeah I, I mean especially because like there's that scene where uh he's up on stage right like about to perform <laughs> something i was like i, <laughs> I guess it's scene. magic yeah no like I, I from the trailer i didn't really understand it until and i was like oh, okay so Dickens when the movie, movie the was first announced i thought that dev patel was going to be playing David Copperfield, the um, the New York magician guy, right? The one right. that was married to uh, what's her name, Claudia Schiffer. Oh right, mm. yeah, they were like a original '90s power couple, right? I remember that. Um, yeah, and David Copperfield's still alive and, and not particularly relevant. It would be a very random biopic uh, <laughs> to make these days. <laughs> but yeah, so David Copperfield, the book is is a very special book to me because like I, I read it, I think in the ninth grade, and from what I remember, it was the first like serious book that I read out of my own free will. Like, okay, so it wasn't, class... it wasn't a mandatory high school read. No, this wasn't mandatory. And at okay. some point I, I decided I'm going to start really reading, you know, so-called serious books. Whereas before, you know, you, you read like the standard YA kind of stuff that you read as as like a middle schooler and everything. So, I, and this is a fat book. This is like 700 page book. And I, I sat down, read it and, and really liked it. And it, it got me down to this, you know, reading a whole bunch of Dickens uh, but David Copperfield is a very autobiographical story. Um, it is it is a very thinly disguised uh, version of Dickens's own story and his mm-hmm. uh, you know upbringing. Mm. And so, you know, as I said, it's a, a story special to me, which is another reason this, this movie pissed me off. So I'll just give a quick overview of David Copperfield's story. And so this is uh, as a, a very autobiographical novel of by Charles Dickens. It's one of those like buildings romance, which is a fancy term for a novel that covers the the life of uh, a character. So David is born to a, like a single mother because I think the father passed away, and his mom remarries a, a real jerk named Mr. Murdstone, who uh, abuses David. Uh, decides that he's too much of a wimp so he sends him away to work at some factory to like toughen him up and all that and that's kind of where david begins his adventures out into the the real world he runs away and uh finds salvation in his aunt betsy trotwood who originally hated him because she wanted uh, a girl uh but he turned out to be a boy and she has some money so you know she like 
you know fancies him up and you know he kind of leads a starts leading a gentleman's life and and the, and the novel is just him you know you know becoming like a preteen teenager young man and everything and and during his life he'll meet like a whole bunch of colorful characters from uh you know Mr. Macabre the guy who's like constantly in debt to uh Peggy's family who live in that upside down boat to um you know the Wickfield who run some uh, financial firm or something and uh it, it, he eventually marries um Agnes who's the Agnes Wickfield who's the daughter of Mr. Wickfield his boss but not before he mar- marries Dora Spenlow uh who is kind of a mistake uh the marriage but she dies so uh, in the end he realizes Agnes is his one true love even though he like friend zoned her for many years so it's it's a it's it's not a straightforward story you you have a lot of uh you know kind of like detours uh it's a long book but uh the, as i said the reason we wanted to especially talk about this is the whole uh, diverse casting of it and why uh, we have issues with our at least I have issues with it so let's start that discussion um, Liza why don't we start with you like what, sure. what were your thoughts about the whole race bending thing or reverse so race the bending, race bending thing was Iannucci's way of reflecting modern Britain right he called it he called it true inclusive casting and then Dev Patel has called it the true definition of colorblind casting Um, so for me, it's like, if it's supposed to reflect modern Britain, that's perfectly fine. So why don't you just make the movie take place in modern times? Like, why is it still 1850? Mm -hmm. You know? And and then like, I can't believe that this movie has a 92%, um, critical rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This is like, this is the worst movie I've seen of 2020. And I've seen (laughs) so many movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, you saw and the like, audience. No score, one right? else is complaining about the casting in this, which I think is so distracting. Are they like, if you don't know the story of David Copperfield, the casting makes it even more confusing to follow along. Like, um, what, what are they called? The Steerfords, that family? Yeah. I had no idea that they were supposed to be mother and son. Right, because the mother's black and the, and the son is white, and, and, and she's very like, black and he's very white. <laughs> and then there's like B. D. Wong, and then the actress that plays Agnes. Also, Benedict Wong. B. D. Wong's a different actor. B. Right, he's right. B. D. Wong is from what? Wong. He's from the other the uh, apocalypse. Law and Order series. He's the Jurassic Park guy. Yeah, the bad guy. The bad guy now. Famously, in Law and Order. He's also in Bird Box. Oh, really? I haven't seen that one. Yeah. So, so Benedict Wong is the guy from Doctor Strange. Yes, that's right. That's right. Benedict Wong and his daughter Agnes. Like, I didn't know that they were supposed to be father and daughter. Yeah. Until it's like you pick it up later in through context, but like even then, you're just like, wait, did I hear that right? You're like questioning it because you're like, oh, so they're father and daughter. But let me let me rewind that to make sure that I'm getting this straight. It's like you need a concept map to follow this. Yeah, and the thing I think that really makes it even harder is that. Everything else is so faithful in terms of uh, the hmm. setting, the costumes, right. you know, impeccable. Yeah. Every, or at least, obviously not accurate, but I think that classic Merchant Ivory style uh, Victorian thing, like the crisp suits. Even, even the poor guy, Mr. Macabre, is always dressed like a dandy, you know? So everything if you don't is, know, Miss, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the actor Hugh Laurie, those two guys, <laughs> Mr. Dick and Mr. Macabre, you're going to get them confused. Yeah, and that, that's another problem they with the movie. They look exactly you, you, alike. Oh, one guy's got the red suit, the other guy's got the kite. <laughs> <laughs> so they try to cram a 700-page uh, book into two hours. Everything moves so quickly. 
Uh, certain things are just totally not even shown, like what, when David and Dora, like their courtship is, is barely even shown. Uh, and when David and Agnes end up together, it's totally random. So you have to really know the story, I think, to know uh, to know what was going on. Or you don't care about it and you just like the costumes and the fact that it's diverse. I think that's the only two groups it really appeals to. But we'll get more into that later. Yeah, like I, I don't – so I'm confused. Like so – are the characters supposed to know that they're in a costume drama? Like, like you see, you know? that's that's the that's the confusing thing because like the race bending thing. It's like, are, is this like one of those self aware like, right Dickens yeah. adaptations? They're all in on it. Yeah, there's an argument to be made for for certain things that are done so many times, like you know Shakespeare, Dickens, uh, whatever. Um, at a certain point, you've already seen this. Like, there's like a every five years, there's like a new. You know, remakes. So like, why not do something different? And I sympathize with that. But why make it so conservative? You know, with a small C in terms of style and and dress and you know affectation, and only change the race. Why not? Why not do something a little bolder? You even go like a full a Knight's Tale and throw in some modern pop songs while they're at it, so the audience <laughs> gets a sense that hey, you know what? It's okay for a, for a black woman to have, to have an Asian dad. Okay, because but by we, that logic, then this- by that logic, then is Hamilton okay? Hamilton, uh, I think the I think the historical underpinnings of, of Hamilton just make it such a thing. And and okay, let's get into that because some people might say, "Hey, uh, unverified accounts, what's the big deal? It's just a little race bending, right?" And I would agree. It's like whatever. Who cares who plays what movie? But the reason this is a problem is I think there's a whole ideology powering this, which is this exchange of you know whitewashing. Uh, the past, especially like a, a white American slash European past, uh, to make it seem much uh, nicer than it is. And in exchange, a few select elite people of color get to uh, indulge in their fantasies of, of being in like a old like European costume drama. And I, I think I think Hamilton was a prime example of that. And I think this is a continuation of that. And because you know, David Copperfield was published in 1850. You know what else was happening in the 1850s? Uh, like a few years later, the Sepoy Mutiny in India happens. And and like every five years, there's like a massive famine in India, which kills millions of people. Um, the, the Opium Wars is, is around this time, the, the first and second Opium Wars. And a lot of people don't know about these things. And to and, and not just this movie uh, as a one-off, but continuation of these types of period dramas in which... Uh, the whole culture is is just basically modern day London or you know like a modern college campus. I think it it just further desensitizes people to that because I, I think the you know the, the government uh, of the UK they they don't want their their past dragged out. You know they they want to be like seen as just you know the what we we were just like this uh, you know two hundred years ago we were the same. Yeah, we might have uh, you know said a few bad words, but that was the extent of it. Uh, I have I have a so, so I want to actually touch on something that Liza mentioned earlier, which is that uh, Inucci uh, actually addressed the race bending in this movie. He actually like had an interview where he talked about it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it was on the Hollywood Report podcast where they interviewed him and he talked about like this is a Dickens adaptation like no other. Um, this is like the true definition of inclusive casting, and mm-hmm. he mentioned that Dev Patel called it the true definition of colorblind casting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did, did they get into um any of the like did they get into i, I so I, what i'm trying to understand i guess is like they don't they obviously don't talk about the like the reasoning behind you know why they are casting it this way right like they just 
are no, talking about doing they it. Just, in a, in they kind of just. Yeah, they, it's very surface, just like, oh, we're just doing colorblind casting because, you know, that's what it's supposed to look like. And like, this is supposed to be a win for diversity and representation. And they don't really go any further than just that. And it's like, uh-huh. okay, everyone that they tell this to just, you know, they just chalk it up as like, win, win for everyone. Yay. So progressive. Yeah. I feel like, like, Chris, your beef with the, with race spending this movie but like the kind of issue at large is that it's a not that it's a single movie that's done it wrong because you know at, at the time indians are being slaughtered and not you know gallivanting around in a gentleman's school your <laughs> issue your issue is that it's a trend right it's like it's happened in a bunch of movies you know we talked about hamilton as well right mm-hmm. um where it's not necessarily beneficial to the story in any way um it's beneficial for representation maybe but it, it kind of like is following this trend of like contemporary, pe- basically people of color cosplaying as, as in white stories. Yeah, I think it's uh, beneficial to two main classes of people. I think culturally conservative white liberals. That sounds kind of like an oxymoron, but, but it's not. Like you can be liberal, but have a deep longing for the Dickenses and, and the Austins and the Shakespeare's, which I think, fine, go ahead. That is perfectly fine. But they feel guilty. They feel bad about it. And they know they're going to get some blowback, which I think is unfair. If you want to, you know, go to a Renaissance fair, go ahead. Don't pretend there were any like Chinese people there just, you know, back in the Renaissance. Just, just go and do your thing. It's fine. And if people criticize you, just live with it. Okay. Uh, so it's between them and the and the elite people of color. In this case, uh, you know, a list or wannabe a list actor types who get in into the club. But then, where does that leave the rest of the community, right? Because we can't all cosplay as white people, and and even if we did, it would erase our own history. And that's another big slap in the face, right? It's like, oh, you poor you poor things. Like you don't have any exciting stories whether you know history or, or fiction uh, so wh- why don't we this time include you and and the power of inclusion is totally in in the white people's hands right even though you know Dev Patel is nominally the star he was allowed there are to two be. movies there are two movies that are out right now that are period pieces that don't force any kind of race bending and, and you can still cast an Asian American or an Asian actor as a lead. So there's First Cow, which takes place in, um, uh, I want to say, 1820s Oregon. Uh-huh. It takes place then. And it is also a costume drama. It is a period piece. And um, they cast um, a Chinese actor uh, who's not even American. He's got like full on, like, you know, chi- Chinese accent speaking English and it works just fine. We don't have to question his existence or have to force ourselves to be like, this is cosplaying, you know? Um, we've also got, uh, Minari, which mm-hmm. is, uh, I, I, I think it counts as a period piece. It's like, it's like right before Ronald Reagan's eighties. So I think it's like 1980, probably mm-hmm. maybe 1979. Yeah, but but Liza, with first cow, I think you just you just said what they don't want. He has the accent, right? He doesn't have the posh British accent of a Dev Patel pretending to be an aspiring British gentleman. That guy is just a chink. He's like a poor chink with his cow or whatever. I haven't seen the movie, but uh, that's kind of what the storyline seems. And that's not what they want. That's not their fantasy. These people, like I know these people's mindsets, because you know, I, I as I said, I grew up reading the David Copperfield, and I think. Uh, on some level, I, I empathize with them because I, uh, I used to be like that. But I think these people have never grown out of that mindset where they grew up reading these books or hearing these stories and they so desperately want to be a part of it. They don't want to 
it's not really about representation for its own sake. Because if you offered them, hey, you know what? There's this like old uh, Korean tale that's like even better than Pride and Prejudice, and we're gonna make an all Asian American adaptation of it. They'll be like, eh, yeah, yeah, I guess we're kind of happy. But what they really want to see is is like that one Asian American who gets to be part of of that that you know period piece or whatever so, that so when you say when you say about. when you're using the word they you don't mean like the they the white gatekeepers who produced the movie greenlit the movie directed the movie etc you're saying the the plc actors uh you know and maybe writers who uh are partaking in the movie they want to see themselves they want to see a dev patel be a david copperfield yeah the actors and and the people who who will watch it and yeah. celebrate it and write about it yeah that whole class of people like we we've seen this these people i don't, like, I don't think time and time again yeah right? sure i don't think it's a malign thing though i don't think that they are interested like a dev patel would be interested in playing a david copperfield or being a, in a dickens movie because he like you know desperately wants to be white i think that's maybe part of it i think the other part is just that like if you grow up in white society the stories you know and the the tales that you're aware of are limited, right? You're going to learn more about Charles Dickens and so on than you would learn about like the opium wars or the like the famine going on in India at the same time. You, maybe hopefully you do get some some slice of that history, but I understand that their their imaginations are very limited by the fact that they grew up in this uh, white society. You want, you want to bring up Dev Patel? So I want to separate two things, like the act interests of the actors and and like the entertainment uh, professionals versus. Mm-hmm. The people, the actors who are, who are watching it. Yeah, the actors. I don't really fault them because I think fundamentally this is an issue about them wanting to get jobs and more power to them. You know, I want them to do well. And Dev Patel, I don't think his as you know, I agree with you. I don't think his thing is oh I I've always wanted to be what I think his thing is I've always wanted to be a star. And if yeah. this yeah. is what's getting star. made, yeah, he's gonna yeah. take it as he should really if it's available to him. My problem more is with the everyday people who will not like actually tangibly benefit from this in in the sense that they'll get to be in a movie and become a star but they get that like psychic uh comfort of i get to sure, see yeah, someone yeah. like me in in this yes. like and uh, it's misleading and so on yeah leader of the white people story it, th- yeah. this this movie is a particularly weird one to to debate on this fact because usually i'll bring up like hey how well did it do in in the box office right and mm-hmm. this movie like it didn't do well it like cost 15 mil it made about 13 overall um, the so audience it, it, score doesn't match the critic score either. Yeah, it's like half. The audience score is half the the critic score. So people are not enjoying it as as much as like. Okay, but then um, people are not enjoying it as much are. as Chris is. Chris is saying they're enjoying it. Chris, you're saying that these people should be upvoting the shit out of this. If they or or it could be the the usual you know reactionaries online that see a diverse film and downvote it, like you saw with like Birds of Prey during the Birds of Prey versus Sonic uh, debacle that I keep bringing up. Right? I think Birds of Prey was a legit bad movie. Um, if anything, I, I think the Birds think of Prey the people... personal history of David Copperfield is a legit bad movie too. Like we've, we've, already seen, we've already seen what it looks like when you take a Dickens novel and you, you, know, you, you either go do a direct adaptation or you go like the Christopher Nolan's way and, uh, Nolan way and you do like The Dark Knight Rises, which is basically a tale of two cities. You do it very loose. But it can be done, and it's done. It's been done very well both ways. And then this one, it's like, this is this is like take away the race bending, and then like say you cast all British actors, and I still think it's a bad movie. It is because like uh, structurally, it just doesn't work. Like there's it moves it's, way too quickly. Is this too much shit in it? Yeah, it's just it's very confusing, and um, there's like there's too much going on, and. I imagine that in a like a seven hundred page novel, there's a lot of character development. Like we don't know anybody's motivations. 
Yeah. And there's so many of them. Let me add yeah. this because I don't think I disliked the movie as much as you guys did. Um, I think so. So, Chris, you mentioned like so. I, I mean, I agree that it had a lot of problems. Like it went way too quickly. You know, I, I thought it was like a three hundred page book, but you're saying it's actually like a massive seven hundred page tome, which kind yeah. of makes he more sense. He got paid given by how. the word. Yeah, exactly. That's true. He famously did. Um, but uh, but I think like there's a third. You, you mentioned Chris two audiences that might may enjoy this. I think there's actually a third audience um, that this movie was made for. Which is it's made for like Dickens fans, right? Like it's if you're a Dickens fans, I think that you would be really charmed by this film. No, that that is the first group that I said okay. that people who already know the story, so okay. they um you know they'll, they'll it's like a, it's like a greatest hits version of of it's a very like slim down <laughs> Cliff's Notes uh, Reader's Digest type of thing, and they'd be like, oh, there's Macabre, oh, there's Mister Dick, oh, there's you know Betsy Trotwood. Everyone just kind of pops in. <laughs> yeah, and and the and they all have you know they're all kind of like I think they're pretty well played by the different actors, even if the actors are race bent. I think that's the thing about race bending is that you want to pick a actor or actress who can do that yeah, role well. I thought actor. Benedict Wong, yeah. I thought Benedict Wong did a great job playing the oh, yeah, great, accountant, yeah. right? Yeah, and and I think those are positive attributes of it. The story was definitely confusing as fuck, super rushed. I got confused, you know throughout the entire movie about what was going on. I think also if you're not a Dickens fan um, or not well-read on Dickens like myself, you may be confused about a lot of the things that are going on in the movie, right? Like the gentleman's like school and like the poorhouse and like all this stuff, right? A lot of these things sound like metaphor when really they're things that happened in the Dickensian world of London in, in the 1800s. Um, but I'll also point out that at this time, like the, the you know, Victorian era-ish uh, London, there were people of color, Indian, Black, maybe even East Asian, that had historically existed in all different like class stratums of British society. They did exist, okay? But they definitely did not exist at nearly the rate that you see in this movie. Exactly. No. Right? That's what's like, fucked up the, about this Look movie. at the fucking gentleman's school. Like, it's, it's like, there's like a couple of white guys, and then it's like, there's an Asian guy, a bunch of black folks. Like, it looks like the Oxford not, debating society right now. Yeah. It, it, and that might be representative of like, I Modern know, like Britain, Harvard. Yeah. With modern Britain, like at Oxford, mm -hmm. if there's enough, like, uh, you know, if you have enough uh, people being brought in from other places, but, but like, it definitely wasn't the case back then, which is fine because really what you said earlier about like the weird relationships, like the black mother, white son, or like the Asian dad, black daughter, if you, once you have that, like that creative casting happening, you basically throw everything else out the window, right? So I don't think it's even really worth talking about the historical accuracy of, of the the casting because it's it's intentionally not historically accurate well, anyway to begin yeah, with. Yeah, but we went. I mean, we we you have that buy-in already once you see the poster. Yeah, and you you're see like Dev Patel like, is David Copperfield, so it's like you just have to go with it. And then when you go through the movie, it's still like it's just a. You know, my biggest problem with the movie is that it's not a good movie, and that it has a ninety-two percent <laughs> critic rating on on Rotten Tomatoes, and that bothers me. That it bothers me that film critics. Care more about the message and like, like as Chris put it, I, the meta narratives than they do. Yeah, like, yeah. is it a good movie? I think that that the thing that bothers you lies it with this the score mismatch, like the high critic score, and what Chris is saying is pr precisely the same thing, right? It's like this kind of colluding around, like, um, you know, around this idea of like diverse casting being a really important thing, and that this is the way to do it. My my problem with it, like I'm I'm okay with the race bending and stuff. My problem with it is that I think that if you really cared about representation and diverse casting, you wouldn't you would stop making fucking Dickens movies, 
right? You just wouldn't, yeah, you would, just, would just put less fucking money and, and funding behind a Dickens movie. Problem right, is we know that Ian Nucci is perfectly capable of writing an original story and then yeah. directing a good movie with a lot of That's social right. commentary. He can do it. That's right. If so, you really so why, want are you, to, why are you doing do, this? If you, you know? really want to, to do like a historical film where you like lifted a, you know, brown actor, you get Dev Patel's star, star in a, a original movie about like the, the famines in India. It would be a very different movie. It wouldn't be a comedy, right? But you yeah, could they don't want make to make that movie great though, movies. It's, it's... Great. They, yeah, it's not about them. End of the day, it's, they want to make it about exactly. them. That's the problem. And that's, here, the, that's right? the deal I, I talked about before. Yeah. The trade-off here is like, it doesn't make me want more representation if it means the quality of the movie just goes down, you know? No, but that's just the, the only reason for that, Liza, I think is because it was a 700-page book in a two-hour movie, right? I don't think mm-hmm. it's because of the race bending, per se. Yeah. Hey, Philip, mm-hmm. you, you brought up the exact problem with the movie where you said there, are, there were actually, uh, you know, South Asian people in England at this time. They just weren't you know, going to the to the gentleman's schools, even though he went to a pretty crappy school. Pretty sure they weren't yeah. like dressed like that. And that's precisely the problem with this movie. I mentioned uh, Titus uh, with Anthony Hopkins, a, a very mm-hmm. underrated, sadly overlooked movie. I think from the from the nineties that I think did race bending well. I mean, it wasn't over. I mean, most of the characters were still white, but there were like a few black people here and there who were supposed to be Roman mm-hmm. generals. And mm-hmm. the reason that movie worked was that it just fucked around with time so much. I'm talking about Roman legionnaires goose stepping through Mussolini, like a building that Mussolini built with shotguns in their hands. And so, you know, <laughs> this movie is just, uh, you know, out, out there. there. Yeah. And, and the it's director, a reimagining. Right, yeah, and right. the director of the movie, who, who Julie Tamer, who actually brought The Lion King to Broadway, she said that, you know, back in Shakespeare time, you know, they just wore regular clothes and, and pretended to be, you know, ancient Greeks or Romans or Moors or whatever, you know, men played women, uh, whatever. So we, so they were like, you know, we, we didn't really care about historical accuracy. We just did what was cool. That I can get behind. So if, I'm saying yeah. David Copperfield really wanted to play around with race. They should have played around with everything, but they kept everything else constant except for race, which I think creates that message where it, it cr- creates that like plausible deniability of what a real South Asian would have been treated like in you know 1850s England, and it, cr- it creates that fantasy for for those susceptible to to believing in it. And as I said, it's not just a one-off movie, and it's not even as I said about race bending. In countries around the world, whenever I go to Korea, they'll have like Phantom of the Opera, but it's sung in Korean. And even though it's supposed to be in like 19th century Paris, you've got you know Korean people doing it. That obviously I don't have a problem with. Because that's just by necessity, and you know, it, it is you got to do suspension of disbelief. But as I said, there's no ideology behind it like there is with these types of projects. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you have like your whole yeah. I I hate this movie. I really do. I hate it so much. <laughs> and if you look at the reviews that gave it a positive, a lot of them were just like, "Wow, we just needed this in these times, guys. Something to feel good about." Yeah. And it's. As I said, it, they care more about the, the meta narrative and, and the right. message as opposed to the movie. That's what I said. If you take away the race bending, it's still a bad movie. So, like, yeah. it doesn't. He was like, wait, why is David in this upside down boathouse? Wait a minute, why is Mr. Macabre now a teacher? I thought he was supposed to be in <laughs> debtor's prison. Why is he uh, suddenly uh, marrying Agnes? I thought they didn't even like, you know, they didn't even seem to really like each other that way. Uh, Dora's supposed to die in the book, but she just like writes herself out here where they have mm-hmm. they have a whole like annoying uh you know story within a story a narrative that they don't even really keep up consistently if dev patel ends up with a best actor nomination and like this movie ends up with a best picture nomination i'm gonna i, I really some shit's I gonna burn down <laughs> yeah i think so yeah this is like this movie this movie is like the 2020 bohemian rhapsody for me 
Oh yeah. Oh, where you I'm hated just, that like, movie that much. I'm my huh? hands. I'm like, I can't believe this. You know what this movie kind of reminded me of? A movie I absolutely loathe, uh, Midnight in Paris. Because Midnight in Paris also had this greatest hits quality of, of great literature. And I think it appeals particularly, I think David Copperfield particularly appeals to the whole like movie critic class because it's about a mm. writer. And you watch this movie and you see like these characters randomly pop up. And I think it's the that's one with the... Um, Rachel McAdams and uh, Owen Wilson. Yes, yes. Marion Cotillard uh, too. I, no, she's not. I mean, yeah, yeah, she's in it. Yeah, yeah. she is. Yeah. Yeah, she's in it. Yeah, uh, and I think uh, the peop- type of people who like this movie, one type is uh, they'll they'll see like these random characters come up. They'll be like, "Oh yeah, I recognize him," and and there's that performative uh, laughter to 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 tell everyone that they've read the book. <laughs> and that was the exact uh, problem with with a movie like Midnight in Paris, among many other problems. It was like, okay, it, it's just an opportunity for these like well educated types to signal Not to everybody Woody else. Allen's best movie. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't that bad to me, but um it's not like when we're talking about Woody Allen's best movies, it's not up there. It's it's mm-hmm. no Annie Hall or like Hannah and her sisters. Chris isn't talking about like whether the movie itself is good or bad. He's talking about like the like the masturbation that's going on. I can't help yeah, the kinds of things I think about. Yeah, cuz like objectively this <laughs> is, how, how can you call this a good movie, right? Cuz it as I said there's it just it's just like a highlight reel of of, of a book. Um, <laughs> That's precisely what it is. Yeah. But I think it checks all the boxes. Diverse casting, yes. Um, you know, Armando Iannucci, uh, you know, very well respected person. Uh, production values, very impeccable. You know, it looks great, the movie. Um, and what it, so what we're, we're okay, trying to, to boil this down into, you know, a, another unverified accounts thesis is we are concerned about diverse casting becoming a checkbox for movies where diverse casting doesn't actually make the movie any better or doesn't make any sense or yeah, doesn't it contribute doesn't in any meaningful in way, way aside from the, ch- the checkbox, the rubber stamp, right? That's mm-hmm. that's kind of the overarching concern here. And this movie kind of exemplifies that. Yeah. And I think it, it also exemplifies that um, a tendency by by white people to to in their view, the virtue of the greatest virtue for non-white people is to carry on white legacies, and you see this explicitly. Remember when um, you know at the height of like Islamophobia uh, in kind of the mid two thousands. Remember mm-hmm. what white liberals always said about Muslims, like what made Muslim culture so great. What I always kept hearing was, "Oh, you know those Muslims they they preserve Greek and Roman culture, while we you know dirty white people were were in our dark ages, <laughs> uh, you know fucking the pigs in the dirt or whatever." But but these Muslims they were so great. But why were they great? Because they preserved uh, Greek and Roman culture. So the highest aspiration for non-white people is to be stewards of white culture for, I guess, when white people lose their way uh, for, for it to be there and for them to maybe improve upon it. But not to actually come up with anything of our own because that, you know, who wants that shit? Right? Who wants an actual, I don't know, who wants actual like Islamic ph- philosophy or science or anything like that? Our, our best virtue is, is as like guardians of, that, of their stuff. And I think this is precisely what's going on here. Well, the good news is that Minari and First Cow are like universally accepted as better movies. So, oh yeah, for skip, sure. Skip well, that's David Copperfield and see First Cow and Minari. Yeah, some people might even wonder why we're potting about this because like no one's gonna really see this movie anyway. But I mean, th- I think this movie was. I think it, no, I think that we're going to see a lot more like this movie, though. Like, race spending seems yeah, to yeah, be the exactly. new trend yeah. that we're moving towards. Like, post, you know, now that we're like, uh, especially post Hamilton, mm-hmm. seeing that kind of success. Um, yeah, Black and Boleyn, we're going to see that. It's confusing to me because, like, is the money in it? Like, because this movie didn't do, I don't know, it had a limited release, right? It's hard to tell. 
But like, is it gonna actually end know. up making money? I don't know. But we, we've always known that Hollywood is not 100% about money. I hate, this is a good callback to our previous episode, bullshit jobs, you know? For as, as capitalistic a society we live in, often ideology precedes capitalism. You know, why do bullshits, bullshit jobs exist in a, in a world that supposedly only cares about profits? Well, because it flatters the egos of like the CEOs and stuff. I think in this case, there's another agenda, um, whether studios need like the PR of seeming diverse or whether they need to stave off the, the Twitter maniacs or, or whatever. It's obviously not just about money. Yeah, I can I can see that. I can buy that. Again, it, it comes back to the idea that like you have a checklist of shit you need to, you know, include in a, in a successful contemporary movie or, or as a contemporary studio, you need to have like your diverse movie once a year kind of thing. And then you put something <laughs> like this out, right? It isn't particularly good, but, you know, the critics like it. Uh, yeah. And it gives you some defense. So I, I can see that. Yeah, and Philip, you made a great point. It's like, why isn't Dev Patel in a, a movie about like the Sepoy Mutiny? I mean, for the same reason that Hollywood refuses to make Danny Glover's movie about the Haitian Revolution. They don't want to see that shit. They, uh, they just want to see, you know, the the, the small C conservative stuff. They want to constantly churn out Dickens and and Shakespeare and I don't know whatever. They're all they're gods, you know. Um, and you're right in that if you really wanted to be radical, just don't make that stuff and make that. Thing, uh, you know, Dev Patel's movie about the Sepoy Mutiny or or Danny Glover's movie about Toussaint Louverture, you know, do those, but they won't. And that's what we should be calling out instead of like going gaga over brown David Copperfield or black uh, Elizabeth Bennett yeah. or, or, or black Anne Boleyn, which we will actually get in the near future. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wanted to ask you, um, maybe we should ask this at the beginning, but what do you what do you mean by reverse race bending? That confuses shit out of me. <laughs> oh, because race bending uh, comes from the movie uh, The Last Airbender. Remember when they turned, uh, not all the characters, but all the, the protagonists of uh, The Last Airbender white for that terrible movie? Oh, okay. So That's race where bending... the term race bending comes from. So the assumption is race bending is when you turn minority characters into white characters. Okay. So, um, so it's know, white, whitewashing. Like it's the same. It's like Scarlett Johansson is now, you know, Major Kusinagi. It's like whitewashing. That would be race bending, period. So reverse race bending is when you turn white characters into minority characters. Okay. All right. We should probably talk more about Hamilton because more people saw Hamilton than, they're, than they see David Copperfield. Yeah. Is that is that true? Oh no, that's, a lot no, that's of people true. saw that's Hamilton. Probably true. That's probably true. And now yeah. it's now it's on Disney Plus. Yeah. So it's actually widely accessible and not just for yeah. those who can afford a $300 Broadway ticket. At its peak it was like $1200 for two tickets for like a weekend night show. So mm-hmm. so that's a commercial success, right? Where mm-hmm. race bending is mm-hmm. prevalent. And it's probably the the blueprint for for all this. The I ideological think so. Blueprint. Definitely in a post Hamilton world, it's definitely yeah. That's that's like it kicked off the trend that we see now, as, yeah. as the way it is. So it's like costume dramas with POCs, and you don't question the you don't question why there's POCs there. Yeah, and it it serves to uh, like bolderize a pretty uh, controversial past. And it's mainly for white liberals. Uh, as I was saying, if you want a really good takedown of this, uh, listen to an early Champagne Sharks episode uh, entitled "Why I Hate Hamilton." Pretty yeah, much we'll tells link that you. Yeah, in the uh, show notes. Yeah, it pretty much tells you everything you need to know. I, I haven't actually seen the musical, so uh, you know I can't say too much about it. Besides the you know overall pre- prevailing ideology behind it. What, Chris, why don't you also uh, why don't you post your um your article? Just let white, just let the Game of Thrones be white. 
Okay. Actually, why don't we close with that? I think we can have like a 10 minute yeah. discussion on that. Yeah. Okay. Right. To close off the episode, uh, Liza and I, we were, uh, she invited me to a panel a couple of years ago. I think, oh, I've already been a couple of years. Uh, and it was I, actually, yeah, it was like um, about a little more than a year ago. And it was the City Lit uh, Book Festival in downtown Baltimore that's put on by City Lit. And uh, one of the things that we talked about a lot was an article I had written uh, quite recent, you know, at the time, quite recent, called "Let Game of Thrones Be White," because a lot of the discourse around Game of Thrones was it was too white and everything. And my whole stance is, uh, my whole some stance things was, need to just be white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just like okay, George George R. R. Martin, he's like some old, uh, you know, eighty year old fisherman or something. He's not gonna he's not gonna know how to write diverse characters. It's gonna be terrible he's even a if he tries. Really, I thought he lived in Santa Fe. He really oh, looks okay. like one. I don't think he actually. <laughs> It'd be kind of cool if he were, but um. So yeah, there's some was, things that should just stay white. Like there, like 1917 is one of those things. Where I'm like, look, you let it stay white, or like saving. Right, right. How Ryan. ridiculous would it be to you know shoehorn in some? Uh, and there were you know minority soldiers who definitely served uh, in yeah. like European armies yeah. there, but it's like once you do that, you're obligated to then bring up the wider context. This isn't just like a deformed white person. Like if there were, say, like a, an Indian soldier in the British army, he's not just like a deformed white guy. He has this whole like context of his existence in that army that needs to be explained and and properly dealt with because, you know, he's not just another white soldier. So you can't just have um, the PR move of, oh, look, look our, our armies were so accommodating back then and, and not actually <laughs> deal with the reality. Uh, but with Game of Thrones, this is not even reality. This is fantasy. But even then... Um, it's just like, you know, th th this is the, the, I think, hypocrisy of the whole representation matters crowd in which the philosophy is like, what's mine is mine. So you cannot ever, e e you know, touch anything of ours in terms of like cultural property, but we get to be in yours. And then it's like, wait a minute, what, what is exactly the, the logic in that? If not just, uh, this kind of like revenge fantasy where like, it's oh, revenge. you oppressed. Yeah. yeah it's and it's revenge. Like, I'm sorry, but that is not, uh, a sustainable or even, uh, admirable, uh, you know, philosophy. Just like, well, you did shit to us, bad shit. So we get to do bad shit to you. I mean, first of all, when is the cutoff date, right? Until like some backlash happens, uh, because you know, when's the evening uh, evening out point? Can you point to that? They can't. So it often just becomes you know pure self interest, uh, and it, and it just just seems like hoarding. Uh, yeah. So if you know minorities, rightfully so, we get our own stuff white people should get their own stuff too because they're not any more special they're not universal you know that's mm -hmm. i think a really harmful message sent by a lot of these uh, race bending things like uh, well the white race bending so thing universal. also sends the message that like white stories are just better and that's why we have exactly. to insert ourselves in them like our stories aren't good mm, enough yeah. you know i don't want first cow yeah. i don't want that guy i want i want your white stories because they're so superior that i have to be a part of it exactly Bingo. They're still, it's still erasure. Like they're still erasing their own stories. Yeah, that's right. Stories that actually make sense and have like, you know, historical relevance that we should probably learn right. more about really, right? Because we've all read yeah. fucking Dickens in school already. And uh, I mean, what we saw with this with like the debate over, uh, you know, like the Cleo, that Cleopatra movie coming out with Gal Gadot. And then uh, some people were like, well, Cleopatra was black. You know, she wasn't. But, you know, there were uh, African queens, uh, not only in ancient Egypt, but, you know, throughout history. Why not do something about that? And I think the truth of the matter is um, a lot of these representation matters. Minorities don't really care about that. They only want white approved stuff and they want to see themselves inserted. It's fan fiction. It's a self-insert in a fan fiction. That's what they want.
they don't really care about history. Has or anybody whatever. ever done like a Genghis Khan movie? I mean, infamously John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> really? I yeah. meant like a you, oh, you also know about that? It was so no. bad. It's the one where John Wayne played Genghis Khan. And, what the fuck? And I think they filmed it All in right. some like Nevada desert. I thought you were joking. Uh, no, it's real. I, I'm so surprised you guys I don't know about this. I gotta look this shit up. This is terrible. Uh, the movie is either called The Conqueror or The Great Conqueror. But um, the the kind of twisted thing is they filmed this in a desert that had been used for nuclear testing. And it killed a lot of the people involved, including, I think, John Wayne. He like died of cancer. And he was like a you know, drinker and smoker. Oh. So I'm sure other factors helped. But, you know, I mean, if you could get really bitter, they were like, oh, yeah, there was karma. <laughs> like, everyone involved kind of died. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I meant like a good, like a good Genghis Khan movie. In two thousand and seven, I don't, I have not seen this movie. But I just looked it up. There's a movie called Mongol. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Oh, uh, that... Which has pretty good it? scores. Uh, Tanda Nobu Asano is Genghis Khan. I don't know the other actors really. No, that movie um, had a hilarious backstory to it because I don't know if it was one hundred percent true. I think it was true though. I mean, this is before the days of Twitter and Reddit, really. But mm-hmm. guess who was first? cast to play Genghis Khan that caused so much of an no, uproar that they, no. they cast that Japanese dude. What white guy? Channing Tatum. What? <laughs> <laughs> the most random guy. Is he like slightly tan Is or this something? like a understand. post like Last Samurai and like before Great Wall tanked? Uh, well, I, is I that think what it was this in, is? Definitely Remember? before Great Wall. I'm not sure about after Last Samurai. Well the difference is that and I will die on this hill but Last Samurai is a good movie. I mean, I, I can see it. Yeah, take out take out the whole like uh, you know Tom Cruise kills the the samurai and takes his wife angle. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it, it's, no, no, no. It's keep fine. that in there, and it's still a good movie. No, I I, I can't stand that, but I, I will otherwise agree. There are some cool parts. He in the never movie. becomes like, a better the samurai forest? than the other samurai, and he's not the last samurai. It's Ken Watanabe. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that sarcastically. I'm like that. That is a plausible argument. I just, I just hate that uh, that angle I, I talked about. <laughs> but um, no, remember in the 2000s? I mean, this was after Gladiator. There was like every year there was this new kind of like epic uh, ancient history type of movie. You know, this is the <laughs> the decade where there, we saw Troy, we saw um, Kingdom of Heaven, we saw. I like Kingdom of Heaven. <laughs> I heard that's actually if you watch the director's cut, I like cut, that one actually, a lot. I should see it. I've seen clips of it on YouTube. Some of it looks really cool. It's so it is the one with Orlando Bloom and Eva Green. It's directed by Ridley Scott. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of his better movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Troy, you can skip. Yeah, Troy sucks. Um, but you know, it was though. So I think they. I don't even think it was an American movie, Mongo. I think it might have been a Russian movie. But anyway, there were rumors that Channing Tatum was was being cast, and this was so outrageous. Even before the, the era of woke Twitter, people were just like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" So then they actually casted a. See, yeah, I, I, I think that movie was to, pretty decent. I'm trying to look Mongolist? up whether or not it was, it's a Russian movie. Yeah, Mongo. Uh, it, it's well rated. I, I mean, I'm trying to look up if it's actually a Russian movie because the director, Sergei Brodrov, who I think also starred in it, uh, is Russian. And that really makes you kind of wonder, like maybe, you know, a place like Russia, which is not as highly influenced by Hollywood, is better at making films like this, right? Even films that like have Asian content, Asian, um, Asian stars. I think countries with less of a need to keep up some imperialistic agenda are are probably more likely to just just tell the story for its own sake. Because ultimately, that's what it is. Like, why does UK uh, want to present itself as you know more diverse and stuff? Because it's it's got. I mean, you look at the whole. You know, it, it has it has an agenda to wage against Russia or China or whoever is against them. So they gotta make themselves 
look better to their minorities and to you know present themselves as hey we're the good guys so i mean the obvious incentive is there yeah that makes sense so i'm just looking up this thing it, it looks like it was uh produced in in russia primarily i think so yeah interesting to think about that i mean this is i think this goes back to liza's thesis of like you know don't look for Asian American stuff in America, look for it in Asia or look for Asian stuff in Asia, right? It's just going to be done better when you don't have all this baggage from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One last thought. I was uh, the guy who plays Steerforth. I was distracted by the fact that he kind of looked like Pete Doherty from the Libertines. I don't know if you guys <laughs> are a fan of that. Band. From, he's the uh, French dude that doesn't talk in Dunkirk. Oh, is, oh, that, yeah, is that the same guy? I mean, yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's his buddy. Remember, and then like Harry Styles calls him out and says that he's probably um, a German, and it turns out he's actually a French guy that jumped the line and tried to escape with the English. Uh-huh. Yeah. To be honest, it, uh, except for Harry Styles, obviously because he's he's a world star. I mean, everyone Dunkirk was just kind of like this, uh, you know, clean cut young British guy. I, I don't I don't think I could tell apart in in subsequent movies. <laughs> What about yeah. Tom Hardy and Kenneth Branagh? Oh well, yeah, they're, they're Mark already stars. Yeah. I'm talking about like the the infantry grunts. Yeah, the uh, young guys. Yeah, all the young guys. They, you know, they're not famous, the and they all they all kind of look like you know clean cut schoolboys. So uh, <laughs> the lead could... guy from Dunkirk is also the lead guy from Bandersnatch. Oh really? Uh, see, it, it, had I seen Bandersnatch, I probably would not have really even recognized them, or maybe I would have because no, he was you would the have. lead in he Dunkirk. He looks the same. But... Hmm. That's the thing. British, like British, um, you know, British movies and TV is a little bit of a different world with like some intersection with uh, uh, Hollywood. Um, yeah, I don't consider British don't... movies to be foreign films. <laughs> yeah, They're still Hollywood to me. Um, yeah, I wonder yeah, if that's I'm, ever I'm, a, like a controversy in, in like a, in the uh, Oscars. I'm, I'm saying this: the stars don't have like they have some overlap, but not like full overlap with uh, with american media right so you you often see people who um you know you may recognize but you're not really sure who they are uh because maybe you saw them in in like the crown but you didn't know that they got big in like the it crowd right or or peep show or whatever um so it's, it's a bit of a different slightly intersecting world like hugh laurie um i i didn't recognize him until halfway through the movie because of how confused i was about his character <laughs> but then i was like oh yeah he's actually british right but everyone knows him as house right? yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. okay uh so we're almost at time any any last thoughts or you know any random thoughts you want to add before we close out this episode now, i just want to point out that we we continually love to watch movies we hate and then at the end of the movie or end of the pod we like give recommendations of good alternatives uh instead which is which i think is just a funny way of doing things <laughs> yeah i think that when i when i tweet out this episode i'm going to really push for people to see first cow and um yeah, minari yeah. if they can yeah if they can Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fucking Lincoln Center. Not yeah, I think us that once watch. they finish, once once Minari finishes its film festival circuit, I think that it will be released streaming for general audiences. Like you know, the the Oscars aren't until April twenty fifth, so you know if it, they re, they put it out in like March, there's still time for everyone to see it. Oh yeah, yeah, it's coming mm-hmm. to Canada next month, so soon. But I'm, I'm yeah, just jealous because the, the Oscars are really late this year. It's usually yeah. it's like. You need to see the movies by like Christmas or the first week of January, or you've missed them all. Because I mm. think that last year the Oscars were the beginning of February. Now we have like almost two and a half months to go after. So April twenty fifth, we have like we have like four months to go before the Oscars right now. Yeah. Riz Ahmed no, would... still has Best Actor on Lock, I think. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, uh, listeners. Uh, this is our last episode for Christmas. So, you know, Merry Christmas. We'll catch you next time. Uh, so, it's us signing off. Bye, everyone. Bye. See ya.